What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I also came from this place of insecurity that I'm not the most flexible dancer. My hamstrings were tight and it gave me a way to really get in touch with my flexibility. (laughs) But I, of course, I didn't realize it was really like my body type. And I just, I was just given of that platform to kind of exploit what I already have. So this is the thing as well. Welcome to the True Fiction Project a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome back to the True Fiction Project. I'm your host, Renita Hora, and I have with me today Mara Arcilla. She is a yoga professional in Hong Kong. She's been teaching yoga for now over 12 years. Hi, Mara. Hi, Renita. Good to connect with you again. Yes, I'm so happy to have you on the show today, Mara. There's a lot of exciting stuff I'd love to talk about. And delving right into it, I met you as a yoga professional, but you are so much more than that. You're a dancer, (laughs) you're a movement therapist, and I'd love to start off with how you came to Hong Kong, because you're not from there originally, you're from the Philippines, and you're coming to Hong Kong with somewhat of a fairy tale. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, to work for Disneyland. In 2005, when they opened, so they were looking for singers and they couldn't find enough strong vocalists in Hong Kong. So they went to Manila and then the director said, we're already here. So might as well hold audition for dancers. And then it was like a gold mine for them. And I remember I was going through heartbreak. So I said, there's nothing left for me in Manila. So I might as well take this. And it was a far cry from what we used to do back home like with, a, with the dance works that we were doing. So for us to give that up, to work for the Mickey Mouse is, yeah, it's quite far. But it was a chance for us to um, live a different life. Because if you're a performer in the Philippines, you're just going to earn peanuts. But I've, I've always known that it was just going to be a stepping stone for me. So I came to Hong Kong and then they offered me this role of a dance captain in one of the shows. I was never really in the parade. And then I was moved to another show where I became an aerialist. 
And it was so strange because I'm actually scared of heights. And I told the director that I don't want this role, <laughs> but they gave it to me. So I was a bird in the Lion King show. I was put on a harness. So I wore a harness every day, attached a single cable and I had to fly. And then I knew that if I do this every day, it's going to cause something in, in my body, like some serious injury. So that's when I started to take yoga classes. Mm, I see. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought for some reason that you were, correct me if I'm wrong, Tinkerbell. Were you not Tinkerbell? Uh, no. <laughs> you were not sure Tinkerbell. For the blonde. <laughs> no, I was a spirit bird in Lion King. I wore a white costume. Okay. <laughs> a spirit bird in Lion King. Yes, I see. Right. That was your... Now, before we go into the yoga, though, tell me a little bit more about your background before you got to Hong Kong. You were a dancer and you said that this was a real opportunity for you. And it was, even though they flipped this from looking for singers to dancers, that really opened a door for you because in the Philippines, you would be paid peanuts. Tell me more about that and how that changed your life. I've been dancing since I was five. I started with classical ballet and then I got a scholarship. It's a national scholarship. So they hold auditions throughout the country and they only choose 40 students a year. And my major was ballet. So I was plucked from my family as young as I was 12. And we all had to live within the campus ground. So in the mountains, Imelda Marcos actually built it. And um, so it was a scholarship. And then after two years, I actually got kicked out. But not because I was failing (laughs) in my grades. I was just a rebel teenager, which was in a way a blessing in disguise because after that school, you just go to a ballet company. And so it just fast-tracked me to be working for a national ballet company earlier than my peers. So I was a company scholar already at 14. I was with Ballet Philippines. But I think because I was so young, I didn't really understand the seriousness of it because, again, I got everything too young. And even my main ballet mentor... I was already doing shows for her while my friends were still in the dance school and I was already doing professional work. I think I took advantage of it. So at 16, I kind of lost passion for ballet. Mm. I was studying in the city. So my mom had to send me to an all girls school because it was close to the ballet company. But you know, it's the influence of going out with your friends. But I also noticed the shift in me, in the sense that because dance allows you to live a disciplined life. And because I didn't have that to support me anymore, I was very lost. And then that drew me back to ballet training again. So I stayed with it, but I also know or knew at that time that I could never be a prima ballerina just because of my built. And so I moved to modern dance and then into contemporary dance. So Even for Disney, it was a big leap as well because it's more commercial dance. Commercial dance. Yeah. It's very mainstream. Mainstream. So take us through the differences just in a brief way. When you say you didn't have the bill to be a prima ballerina, Mm -hmm. so you decided to go the way of modern dance, which was different Mm -hmm. from Disney's commercial dance. Well, because with classical, I started with classical ballet, right? It's one when you see the girls in tutus and point shoes. Mm. 
And my yes. belt was never really for classical ballet. So I, I started to do modern dance. It's where you see, a, well, how I'll explain it is Martha Graham or Alvin Ailey. Yes, that puts everything into context. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Commercial dance is where you see um, like dancers dancing on TV. Yes, yes, understand. Mm-hmm. So Disney was then the perfect fit. But being a spirit bird in The Lion King was not necessarily the perfect fit. And tell us why. You said being an aerialist for so long was beginning to have It was some taking kind of a impact. toll on my body. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you do these shows every day and it's the same choreography. So imagine it's like sitting on your office desk, right? Right. <laughs> same movement pattern over and over and over and over again. So I started to notice some imbalances and my dance teacher from the Philippines was actually with me as well in Disney and um, she was getting her Pilates certification. I was already doing yoga with her in the Philippines. I really didn't understand so much about it. We were just doing Ashtanga, I was just following her. But for me, it um, it was actually coming from a place of insecurity because even as a dancer, I wasn't the most flexible one. And... I had this image that, okay, yogis are flexible and they're quiet and, and they're calm. And then I said, and she offered it to me. She said, because I'm doing my Pilates certification, do you want to take over my Pure membership? And I remember my first day at Pure Yoga in Hong Kong, it was January 1, 2008. And I never looked back. In the beginning, it was for physical prowess. But then like soon after, I realized it was more than that. And this is usually how people come into their practice. They're lost or they have feelings of insecurity. So they go into that place where they are starting to connect with their bodies and starting to trust themselves more. And then you start with the asana practice and you realize there's more to it than that. And I would love to stop for a moment and go into that because I know that you and I have and, you know, a few different times, many times, in fact, in the past, talked about the authenticity of yoga. And this is something that I really, really do see in you and see that you're committed to. In the years, many, many years of my Ayurvedic practice, I remember talking to people and saying, you have to get into the physical aspect of Ayurveda and yoga first. Now, me being the Ayurveda clinician, Because if you do not understand it on a physical level, then you cannot go deeper into sort of the psychosomatic level. And I saw that was exactly the way you were embracing yoga. So tell us about that. It's just like what you said, you really have to throw yourself into the work. Throw yourself. You really have to start to feel it in the body because it's something that is more what is the right word for it? More palpable. <laughs> That's right. If you, have, you have no connection with, with your sensations, then it's hard to go deeper into the nuances. So for people who are coming from a place of insecurity, that's what you mentioned, how can yoga help them and how have you helped them with your unique style of yoga, your unique take on how you teach it, because it is unique. I've experienced that. Well, it's very tricky as well, because a lot of people, because I also came from that, this place of insecurity that I'm not the most flexible dancer, 
my hamstrings were tight and it gave me a way to really get in touch or get in touch with my flexibility. <laughs> but I, of course, I didn't realize it was really like my body type. And I just, I was just given of that platform to kind of exploit what I already have. So this is the thing as well, because I also know that a lot of people come into it from a place of insecurity and vulnerability, like they're going through something. Okay. And then mm-hmm. I have to be careful with it because I also started to notice because I started to become more present on social media. And before mm-hmm. I wasn't, I didn't know about it. My Instagram was private. And when I had to leave that big chain, pure yoga, and then I had to do my selling, I hate that word, on my own, it opened up my eyes to yoga on Instagram. And I've noticed how some of the language, how they sell their classes, their workshops and trainings, prey on the vulnerability of people. Hmm. Like, you lack flexibility, you lack strength, come to this one-day weekend workshop and you're going to be a master. It's like that. It's a quick buck. It's a quick fix. Yes. But there's no such and, thing and, as instant Yeah. Coming. And that's how students latch onto them because of this promise of, of that. And some teachers, if they're just into marketing and earning money or earning fame, they really ride on that. That I'm going to get in exchange, I will give you a platform on my, my social media. I will post about you. I will tag you. I will write about you that you're my student, in exchange, you take all my workshops. Mm, a give and take mentality. So that's obviously something that you saw early up front and decided to stay away from intentionally? I saw, it, I saw it later because I wasn't really exposed to yoga and social media. Yoga and social media. That's so interesting yeah, like the way you Instagram. put it. Yeah, yeah. because... It's, perf- it's performative yoga for me. It's curated. <laughs> Performative yoga. I mean, all like, of this terminology is very interesting to a person like me because I've grown up with yoga in the household <laughs> in India, but I've never yeah. thought of yoga and social media. Performative yoga. I mean, these are, these are new because, concepts for me. <laughs> yeah, because you ask someone, I, I really ask, like, I'm leading a yoga teacher training right now in which you're going to be a part of. And I always throw in questions to them where they have a chance to reflect. Like, what is your, in your head, what, how do you describe a yogi these days? And these days, it's someone wearing a, a bikini by the beach with a beautiful sunset or sunrise as a backdrop and doing acrobatic stuff. That's how they see yogis now. Wow. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to have to take that image back to our yoga guru in India, who is, she's <laughs> the most revered person in our household <laughs> and see what she thinks of that. It's now how yoga is being portrayed. And, and really, it's, it's quite sad that it has been reduced to that. So tell me, how did you deal with that? And how, has, how have things evolved for you? Because your journey into and through the yoga scenario has uh, led you on a personal journey as well, has it not? Yes, it has. I think I'm just lucky that I met good teachers along the way. Like one of my main teachers, his name is Carlos Pomera. He's under the Tantra tradition as well. He was actually a Swami for 17 years, I, I forgot. And it was um, in the Sarasvati order. And 
if you describe a yogi, I always have his image, you know, just a normal person. He doesn't even say, I was a Swami or nothing like that. It's because he was such a humble person. It was always a reminder for me that, okay, wherever you reach in your yoga journey, if that person was a Swami before, like you need to even be more humble than that. And he's just like very generous in his teachings as well. And, and was this I in think, Hong Kong? Yeah, in Hong Kong, because before, like all these yoga masters, yoga teachers used to travel around the globe to, to give see. lectures and, yeah, and to give classes. And, that, and that's how I met him, because one of my teachers directed me to him. So I, I remember for the Yoga Asia conference, I stopped taking so many asanas, like the, the classes. I remember for all every year that he would come, I was just always sitting in his lectures. And then my yoga practice just started to become more about the history, the philosophy, like really learning the roots. Because in, in a way, it's, it's, I'm borrowing from a culture that's not mine. How is that, though? I mean, the culture of yoga is for all. I mean, that's what we're it taught. It is for all. It <laughs> is for all. And it's, but it's also so important for me to recognize that where it's coming from, really. So tell me more about that. Your journey it, it comes from, through um, your journey through yoga and the recognition of where it comes from and what that means to you and how that has impacted you. I think it's just really, it's just respect. I see myself as a practitioner, as a gatekeeper of this tradition. And it's important for me that I, I'm not saying I'm a purist, <laughs> but it's important for me that I don't veer off far from its essence, really. So when you go back, like even with, my, with the training that I'm running, I would ask him like, okay, in a nutshell, without you hearing what yoga is from Instagram, from like quotes, what does it mean for you? The original meaning. And what is that? To you, what is the original meaning of yoga? Atman, to reach Atman. <laughs> Which means, explain to our audiences who have no idea what that means. What is it's, Atman and how do you reach it? It's Brahman, it's pure consciousness. Pure consciousness. That's the journey. Mm, that's the journey. So in your journey, you actually, now going from what started off as fantasy and on a Disneyland audition <laughs> to... <laughs> fallacy, perhaps, your journey has been through its own twists and turns. You mm. actually got married to somebody in, in the yoga industry, which um, yeah. went through some twists and turns, right? Yeah. We were like a yoga couple. <laughs> and we, he really helped me a lot in my yoga teaching career. I, I believe that because we were together, it really catapulted into that. And I also introduced him to, to my teacher and we really helped each other out. But I don't know what it is about male teachers, really. They can't handle the gaze of the student. <laughs> the gaze of the student. Okay. Of the student. I see. <laughs> it's not just that, but actually, well, not just male teachers, but a lot of teachers as well. And so I always say this in my teacher training as a reminder that you have to be careful of the platform that is given to you when you're in front of the class. Because it's so easy to think that 
you're amazing and you're the best person because a lot of these people have their attention on you, right? Of course. And if you're and if you're a person who's not whole and who has insecurities, it's so easy for you not to do some inner work on that because you'll feel important and whole the moment you have people looking at you. I see. Does that make sense? And it's, it's so easy to write on that. I think I have an advantage as a performer that I don't look for that. Because you spent whole, this time on stage and with audiences yeah. and sort of yeah. being the center of attention anyway in, a, in another yeah. way. Mm. Yeah. So really, it's very clear for me. My role as a teacher really is to give service. So this is interesting. In the very traditional styles of yoga that certainly I have grown up with and my peers in India, oftentimes, you know, this idea of a yoga class just doesn't exist. It's a one-on-one <clears throat> counseling, coaching, mentorship. I don't know what you would call it. One-on-one program, you know, between your yoga guru mm-hmm. and yourself. Something that has perhaps evolved over the years into a class or classroom format. Yeah. And I'm wondering, my question to you, based on what you say, Mara, is does that put yoga at a disadvantage to teach it in a classroom format? I think the advantage of it having that platform is that it's reaching a wider audience, right? Mm -hmm. But it's so easy as well. For the teachings to be diluted. Right. Because you cannot give attention to everybody or. Yeah. And then you are restricted with one hour and you yeah. are restricted with the title, then the name of the class. Ah, that is interesting. And descriptions. So that's why even at this studio, when I was teaching, it was a lot of people. I still made sure that I asked for people's names. If you come to my class a second time, I see that as an effort. Or maybe it's just a time that you're free to come. But I mean, that's how I I knew your name and your husband's name. And for me, it's important to have this connection. So where does that put us then, Mara, in this day and age of the Zoom yoga class? I mean, we've gone from a, like we talked about, one-on-one session to a classroom setting to yoga by video and yoga by Zoom, does it get even more diluted? I know that it's something that I have not personally been able to gravitate to, but let's not talk about me. Let's talk about, you know, the other people out there. They have really benefited from Zoom yoga, many, many people, especially in these times of COVID. But does that dilute it? It depends on... The teacher, I guess, because the teacher holds responsibility in how they run the practice. I did stay open to it, and I heard a feedback, which made me a little bit more open to that possibility. So this student said that, actually, in a normal setting, like if I had to go to a studio, I would be a little bit more embarrassed. But because I know that I'm just behind a screen, I feel like I can give more. Because I'm alone in my room. I'm alone in my home. I'm not around other people. So for some people, it's such a good way to start their practice. I see. So it can go both ways, I suppose, just depending yeah. on how you treat yeah. it. Now, coming yeah, like back, the introverts. Yeah, the introverts. It's good for the introverts. Coming back to you, however, Mara, and your personal journey, 
you talked a lot about insecurity and how yoga was an answer for you for this. But then going through this shocking turn of events in your own personal life, yeah. where you're, you're part of the yoga couple, your, your ex-husband, let's say, succumbed to the male, your ex-husband succumbed to the, to the female gaze. Yes. <laughs> your, your ex-husband succumbed to the gaze, um, you know, yeah. offered from the audience. Did that put you back into a place of insecurity again? And where did you turn to then? No, not at all. Because I was very smart. And I've been listening to um, a friend who connected me to a counselor. So that, and, and my work was that whatever happened, it's, it's not on me. Like, it's his actions that took him there. Because at some point, he was actually blaming me. Mm-hmm. And it's important that I was able to protect myself. It's just funny how your yoga allows you to like put you in a place for inner working. And then you started to trust yourself more. You started to see your abilities, your capabilities while recognizing your hindrances as well. Right. It's really respect. And then I think because you started to see your, your greatness, there has to be a balance. And I think what happened with that, you really found solace in in the gaze of others so at home when he couldn't get the same respect from me it was very frustrating for him so he would always run to the studio where everyone thought he was amazing but it's a different setup when you're at home right that's why you have a partner because they 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 show you a mirror and then yeah he was just ready for any feedback and it was really, what, what was a shocker was that he was like high in the high horse, that term. Right, right. So this is interesting because you and mentioned. He, and sorry, you're talking you, about spirituality. <laughs> talking about spirituality, yes. But you mentioned that yoga really helps you with your inner working, your inner yeah. workings. Can you tell me what you mean by that? Well, maybe some people, they come to class as a way to escape whatever it is that happened, that's happening at work or at home. But for me and what other students have shared, the moment you are on the mat alone, either just with the movement of your body or your breath or you're in silence and meditation, it's not an escape. Things arise and you have to deal with it then and there. I, I like the representation of the yoga mat. The representation of the yoga mat. What do you mean by that? For me, like, okay, you are there. You can choose to abandon it, your practice. Okay, it's getting hard now. I'm going to leave. Or you stay with it. That's what it's taught me, the asanas, the resilience. The resilience. I can choose to leave the class I or see. stay and work on it. And that was my training to be resilient in other aspects of my life. I see. Now that makes a lot of sense, perfect sense. And it is so wonderful to hear you put it in those words, how yoga teaches resilience, not just in the time frame of that class or on the, you know, the, the four corners of the mat or the four borders yeah. of the mat, but just in other areas That's of your training. life. That's the training so that outside, hopefully <laughs> you do the same. You do the same. Do you think people carry it to the outside? Have you seen that? I've seen them. I've seen it in my students. That's I've fantastic. seen how they care for each other. Mm-hmm. Because 
you know me in my class. I offer partner work, right? And I know it's, it can be uncomfortable. And, and for some, maybe they have had trauma being touched, but this is usually my spiel. We're going to do partner work. I've just shown you what, we're, um, what I did to, for example, Renita. Now find someone in the room and say, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. And in the beginning, it's like you see people's eyes rolling, like, oh my God, I have to be with someone. And the moment they're in front of a person and the person saying, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. The whole room, I'm not joking, shifts. The eyes lit up and suddenly it's like a wet market. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, uh, that slowly moved to people talking after the class. And then I will say at the end of the class, oh, so when they say thank you to the class, I also say, remember to thank your partners for the work that you've done. And then it moves to the changing room. They talk. And then it moves beyond that. I sometimes even see that they're having coffee. And I ask them, oh, I didn't know that you were friends before. And they're like, no, we just met in class. Or someone would tell me, oh, I'm walking by the mid-levels escalator. And someone came up to me and say, hey, Renita. And then she goes, what? Oh, yeah, Mara says your name a lot in class. <laughs> so Mara's yoga class really is a way to push yourself or bring yourself or evolve yourself out of your state of insecurity. I'd like to ask one last question, Mara, because I know that we're coming up to time. And that yeah. is, you have gone beyond providing yoga as a therapy for your students, meaning your regular day-to-day -day students, to actually providing yoga as a training program in and of itself for others who would like to be teachers yeah. just like you. So mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. effectively spiderwebbing out this whole yoga therapy mm -hmm. style that you have created. Tell us a little bit more about that and the kind of workshops you're offering. Okay. This is my first yoga teacher training that I'm leading. It took me years to finally, because I had to wait. I had to make sure that I go through a lot of these like roller coasters for me to really find my voice as someone I, like, I know my voice as a yoga teacher, but it's different to be a mentor to those who want to be a teacher. And I really made a decision, and I, I respect five elements for that, my studio, the last studio I worked with, when I said, I want to run a teacher training, but I don't want to be part of Yoga Alliance. I don't believe in it. It's not a governing body. It, they're in the U.S. They don't come to Hong Kong to, to check the curriculum. But even if I don't have the Yoga Alliance certification, I have four amazing guest teachers part of the program and that I know will bring their A game to it. And um, this teacher training, the main bulk of the work is to really make yoga accessible. Because right now you hear that it's the image of how yoga is portrayed on social media. I go back to that again, because when I have conversations with random people, they will always say, oh, I don't want to come to yoga class because I'm not flexible enough. So they really think, oh, you must be bendy. Yoga is about being bendy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't post yoga photos of myself because I am a teacher. And what I mean by accessible is that I want your mom, your dad, your auntie, your uncle, your grandma to come to class. <laughs> Certainly. And, and yeah, they may so not the teaching be... Has to be. Go ahead. You don't saying... have to put your foot behind the head. You don't have to put your foot behind the head. I foot love that. Your head. <laughs> <laughs> it's the perfect end quote. I think for this conversation and the perfect uh, for you to image. reach liberation, that is yoga, right? Yoga really is liberation, freedom, my pure consciousness. 
and you don't have to put your foot behind your head. Wonderful, Mara. Thank you so much. (laughs) Tell us where we can find out more about your workshop or yourself or the various yoga classes and therapy that you offer. Well, right now I'm taking a break because every time I move to a studio, if I'm, I'm with the studio, I know I will commit like head on and for a long time. And Five Elements was such a perfect, it was really like a beautiful, beautiful space for me that right now, if a studio is not being like that, I don't want to commit yet. And I feel that after 12 years, because I, I've left the studio and then I'm on my own, I want to see how I can still continue to shift my teaching. So I've had studios talk to me. I, I don't want to make a commitment to partner with them. So right now I'm just hosting my own private yoga, private group yoga, and I, I cap it to a maximum of 12 people. And where so can we teaching, find out? What's your Instagram? My, or where can we Instagram, Mara, M-A-R-A-H underscore A-R-C-I-L-L-A. It's my first name and my last name. For now, this is the only offering that I'm giving. It's, it's just on a Tuesday at 7 and then 10.45. 7 a.m. is already filled. I have a lot of private yoga students as well. But for now, this is the only public class I'm giving. And if I feel that there is a desire from people, then I will open up another spot. Wonderful, I, I, I want to change your relationship, right? Like, if you feel that you, like, I could be your teacher and there are other people, I'll open up a spot. Thank you, Mara. So wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity as well. That was Mara Arcilla. She is a Hong Kong-based yoga professional and yoga teacher. She's been teaching in Hong Kong for over 12 years now. I'm Renita Hora, your host at The True Fiction Project. And now to the premise of The True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. This is Angelika Sharma, filmmaker and writer from San Diego, California, reading from my story, Spirit Bird. Put your ass up higher. Push your hands deeper into the ground. Feel those hamstrings stretch like rubber bands. I want to hear you moan, said 35-year-old Mahesh with intensity as he adjusted a 22-year-old woman's position by grabbing her hips firmly and lifting. She let out a gasp. Saira rolled her eyes as she watched her husband's hands lingering on the woman's ass for just a beat too long. She averted her gaze, took a deep breath, and said, In Adho Mukha Svasana, or downward dog pose, your heart is above your head. This encourages blood flow, which energizes and calms your body. In yoga, it's important to listen to your body. You should be able to do the poses with a smile on your face. Yoga is a sacred relationship with yourself that it's also going to give you sexy buns, interjected Mahesh, while he shot Saira a look that said, cut out the boring stuff. A giggle rippled through the class. Saira felt heat rising up to her face. It took all of her energy to slow her breathing 
and focus on finishing the Hatha Yoga 101 class without letting tears spill out of her eyes. When the class was done, she started to roll up her mat. Mahesh was swarmed by a group of sycophantic young women who apparently couldn't get enough of him. Saira put her mat under her arm and exited the wood-paneled yoga studio onto the busy street. She walked fast. The more distance she put between Mahesh and herself, the easier her breaths came. She couldn't wait to get into her car and listen to her Krishna Das chants. They always centered her. She dug around for her keys in her overstuffed bag. She started to empty out its contents onto the hood of the car. Her wallet, a bag of almonds, yoga pants, a wooden mala, slippers in a Ziploc bag, a water bottle, and a well-loved copy of When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. But no keys. Exasperated, she began to walk back the three blocks to the yoga studio. She probably left her keys on the countertop when she was checking people in. She was in no mood to see the disparaging look on Mahesh's face when she came back to get her keys. But there was no other option. She would have to grin and bear it. How had they come to this? The yoga couple. Beautiful on the inside and out. Toned and gorgeous. The it couple in Singapore. With cover stories in health magazines, endorsement deals, over a million followers on Instagram, and month-long waitlists for their yoga classes. It all looked so perfect on the outside. But the reality was far from the facade. Mahesh and she had started bickering about small things at first. Who cooks? Who does the dishes? Who balances the checkbook? Who racked up the credit card bill? An endless stream of mundane that had sucked the passion out of their relationship. They'd fallen madly in love at a yoga retreat in Thailand five years ago. They'd been inseparable for the entire two weeks. Sharing dreams, meditating, laughing, making love, drinking wine and soaking each other up. He loved her with all her flaws, told her she was beautiful over and over again, until all her insecurities faded away. In Mahesh's loving gaze, she had felt like the most beautiful woman in the world. That was then, and this is now. Four years into being married, running a yoga studio together, and being the most sought-after yoga couple in town. Their success exhausted her, but seemed to energize Mahesh. He couldn't get enough of the adulation, the money, and the yoga groupies and their crotch-hugging Lululemons and minuscule bandeau bras. She missed them, their practice, their journey. Somewhere along the way, their spiritual path had turned into an all-consuming empire she never wanted. She would trade the facade of tranquility for inner peace in a heartbeat. Maybe she could convince Mahesh to take a sabbatical for a couple of months so they could reconnect. She texted him in a wave of emotion. Sorry I left in a rush. I just needed to clear my head. I wish we could get away from it all. Just the two of us. As she walked up to the door of the studio, she was breathing deeply. She had transformed her negative mental state into a positive one, with breath and intention. She would be okay. They would be okay. She pushed the door of the studio to enter, but it caught. It wouldn't open. It was locked. That's odd, she thought. Mahesh has a class in ten minutes. He has to be close. She needed to get in to get her keys. So she decided to wait until he returned. She browsed her Pinterest boards. Her eyes lingered on the pins of nurseries. She couldn't wait to be a mother. 
to have little Maheshes or Syras running around. That would reconnect them. She wanted a doula and her mother by her side when she gave birth. Hey lady, let's get pregnant first. <sighs> Talk about a monkey mind. It was almost time for his class. Mahesh should have been back by now. A click brought her attention back. The studio door opened from the inside. The 22-year-old with the tight hamstrings opened the door and stepped out into the street with disheveled hair and a smile on her face. Mahesh was close behind her, his hand on her waist. Saira felt her heart drop into her stomach. Mahesh looked up from the girl's and saw Saira, his hand jerked away from her waist. The young woman waved awkwardly and almost ran down the street. Saira looked right into Mahesh's shifty eyes. Hey, he said, what are you doing here? I, I, I thought you had an appointment. Saira continued to stare at him until his words dried up and he averted his eyes from her steely gaze. Saira felt her heart start to pound against her ribcage. She felt like she was at the bottom of a deep, dark well filled with quicksand. She was sinking fast. Saira, I was just showing her the correct posture for, for coitus? Snapped Saira, cutting him off. Saira, what the... Save it, Mahesh. Just save it. I'm not an idiot. This is over, Saira hurled. Saira, let's talk about this, pleaded Mahesh. Mahesh, I am done talking and listening to you and shutting down my inner voice. Do you think I don't notice how you look at your students? How you adjust them? Saira shot at Mahesh as she put air quotes around adjust. You're a animal and I'm done. I should have spoken up sooner. But I gave you the benefit of the doubt. I second guess my own instincts. Well, no longer. Mahesh Rao, we are done. You are no longer welcome here. Build your own studio. Saira, you can't do this, yelled Mahesh. This is my life. You should have thought about that before f***ing a girl in my studio, Saira hissed. She grabbed her keys from the countertop and walked resolutely out of the studio. She felt surprisingly calm as she walked towards her car. She felt lighter, as though a rock had been lifted off her chest. She felt the wind in her hair and heard a trumpet playing a mournful tune in the distance. It felt good to trust herself again. She was reminded of a time ten years ago when she was dangling above an arena in a sequined bluebird costume, her heart pounding in her chest, her mouth dry. There she was, a spirit bird in Disney's Lion King show, perched high up, deathly afraid of heights. When the circle of life began, it was time. She leaped off her perch and flew through the air, as the audience below gasped in unison. Once the wind hit her face and tossled her hair, she felt a surge of courage, her inner voice clamoring, You've got this! You've got this. Her giant wings would catch the breeze as she floated above an awestruck audience. Saira, you survived flying despite your fear of heights. You will survive divorce despite your fear of being alone. You've got this. You've got this. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. 
For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. Truefiction Project.